The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. I've already told you before, Holly, that when it comes to, I know a little bit about sports. I know a little bit about this and a little bit about that, but the the movies, the film, acting, theater, that is something that is very foreign to me. Yes, but this is very exciting because through the podcast, look how your world has been expanded. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've, learned, I've learned quite a bit. Um, this week, uh, singer, dancer, actor, song, is there, there's, we're going to find something that man does not do because I feel like if there, we, we always say the, what the Swiss army knife of people. Yes. Well, let me, let me put your mind at rest. I am not a dancer. (laughs) I mean, in my younger years, I dance more than now, but I don't deserve that title. So we can take one blade away from the Swiss army knife of me. There you go. We're going to add more. Uh, Mangirly, how are you? I'm great, Johnny. It's a thrill to meet you. Uh, see, well, she said a thrill to meet you, Johnny. This I'm rarely waiting. happens. I'm waiting, for you to... <laughs> I'm waiting, Holly, for you to introduce yourself to me. Yes, well, <laughs> I'm Holly. Oh, goodness. I'm delighted to meet you. I've been watching you guys on your podcast, and now I get to talk to you myself, which is wonderful. Because I love theater. I love... Yeah all things that I think we're going to be diving into today. And actually, I, I don't want any spoiler alerts, but I mean, The Hiding Place, you're you're kind of uh, a part of something. We'll get into that. Kind of a main role. Yeah, kind mm. of a thing. And <laughs> I read the book when I would have been in ooh, grade five, grade six. Wow. Yeah. We were like, because I mean, Corey Temboom has an incredible story. And I still quote yeah. things from that book today. So... <laughs> Um, I'm just excited just to dive into that because that's her life, but you have a story of your own. Yes, I do. Without further ado, I, I think we'd like to ask the skill testing question, and that is, Nan, who are you and where did you come from? I have studied for this test, Johnny. <laughs> nice. I'm prepared. My name is Nan Gurley, born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I have been a professional actor for... Well, I've been an actor for 50 years. I haven't always been paid, but <laughs> started out that. not being Yes, started out not being paid, but I've been a professional actor for a long time, a singer, um, a writer. I am also a podcaster. Um, so I I have been blessed with the privilege of having a great variety in my life. And uh, uh, my parents, I grew up in a very artistic family. My father was a music and drama teacher, a great singer and actor himself. My mother was a writer, food writer. She made a career out of food writing and was a fabulous cook. And three brothers, no sisters. And um, so I grew up watching my parents perform, sing. My father was a worship leader all my life at church. Mm. And um, so I grew up in an environment that was conducive to being creative. And um, I had my first theatrical experience at eight years old. I got to play Helen Keller in The Mm. Miracle Worker. Oh, wow. And I know it was thrilling. And I remember at eight years old, I I remember being on stage and sensing, even at that young age, the delight, the sheer delight of storytelling. Yeah. And communicating great ideas to people who are listening. And um, I was hooked at age eight. And um, 
So I have been privileged to play some of the greatest roles ever written for women on the stage. Mm-hmm. Culminating in this most recent one of playing Corey wow. in the hiding place. But I know you'll, you'll get to that in a minute, but that's kind of a little me in a nutshell. I, I wonder though, because I have, I have kids who are now teenagers. Uh, my son played the role of baby Jesus when he was uh, three months old. <laughs> I don't know if he has the necessary, like if acting is kind of his thing, was Mm -hmm. acting something that you feel as though was, okay, at eight, I was hooked and I got to find a way to be on stage from now on. I didn't have that thought, Johnny, that I've got to find a way, but I knew I always wanted to be up in front of people. Um, It's kind of funny. If you had asked me at eight years old what I wanted to be when I grew up, this is what I would have said. I want to be a missionary ballerina. Oh, <laughs> okay. I That's... never want to dance. But what's funny is in my little childlike brain, I wanted to combine my love of Jesus with, with my artistic desires. And, um, and I also, I've been a Bible teacher for 50 years. So, mm-hmm. um, so I have ended up being a missionary slash artist all my life. And I have uh, been very conscious about um, as I rub shoulders all the time with people who don't know Jesus, I'm very conscious all the time of bringing my faith into that arena in an authentic, genuine, truth-telling, loving way. So I actually am a missionary ballerina. If your eight-year-old self can see you now. (laughs) I know. Yes. What would my eight-year-old self say to me? Yeah. Would she high-five me? I hope. I think she would. I think she would. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, you say that there's a lot of different kinds of roles that you got to play for women. And Mm -hmm. the role of women in the arts and theaters has, in my opinion, greatly expanded over the past 10 years. I get so excited now when I see women my age in key roles and women who are older. And you never used to see that before. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's just exciting to see that women can now have a longer opportunity during their lifespan to share stories that still resonate so well. When you were younger, did you ever think, oh, no, I'm going to have a natural, quote unquote, expiration date? Like, what's going to happen when I get to that point? Wow. Um, No, mercifully, I didn't. Mercifully, there are lots of great roles written for middle-aged women. Yeah. For mature mm. women. Of course, you've got the ingenue. I've aged out of the ingenue role. <laughs> it's somebody else's turn now for that. <laughs> but um, I just I think older women have more to say. Mm. We've got some age on us. And you know, it's Holly, it's interesting. Uh, you being a sister, um, you understand um the unfair importance put on our appearance in all things media. Yeah. And I, you know what? You, you know, you look in the mirror and you you can see that time is passing. Um, you know, it's a fallen world. I won't get my new body until Jesus comes back. <laughs> in the meantime, I'm doing the best I can, but I would like to learn to embrace where I am. 
It's like church. You know what it's like in church when people with white hair walk in and you see them, what does that do to your heart? You you just, you love it when a grandmother or a bald headed old man walks in, there's something, at least in my heart that goes, they're still faithful, Mm -hmm. still walking with the Lord. And I want to be that. I want to embrace who I am at this age I am. Um, this is something interesting. Um, I also am, and um, I can pull out another blade here, the Swiss Army knife. In the past few years, I have learned to paint and draw. And yeah. I heard this amazing thing uh, from a friend of mine. She was talking to this well-known portrait artist. And he said he did not like to paint women who've had facelifts because he said the soul has been taken out of their face. Oh, and it's like, oh my goodness. When you, when you see my wrinkles, when you see wrinkles, when you see things sliding south and they do, it's like, I'm hoping that people see also the wisdom that Mm. comes with years, the compassion yeah, and are comforted by it. We're all, you know, Lord willing, going to get there. Time's going to pass. And one day we'll all be old if Jesus tarries. So anyway. Yes. Oh, I love it so much. I have have some gray and I call them my wisdom strands. Oh, some. You have like one. One and you freak out. I have three and I was excited because it looks so pretty. It does. (laughs) And one day you'd be a silver fox, huh? Yes. Yes. Laugh lines. But then these ones, the angry ones, I've named them after my daughters. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, goodness. Johnny's just shaking his head. (laughs) Johnny, you had something to say? (laughs) How are your wrinkles? (laughs) Got nothing. All the Botox says that I look great. Um, Here's what I wonder, though. So you have this faith and you have these roles that you play. Is there ever this dichotomy of I can't play certain roles because of my faith? Or how do you kind of weave through those situations or weave through those situations in your career? Johnny, that is an excellent question. And I'm thrilled you asked it. Yes, I have encountered those times, those moments when I was approached about a role. And and turned it down and mm. felt felt definitely the call to to graciously say why. It, very early in my career, I made a decision. <clears throat> uh, I decided that all my gifts were a gift from the one who created me. Mm. I decided that he would be my agent. That he is more excited about the use of my gifts than even I am. And I decided early that I would not do roles that were any way mocking or were any way uh, condoning the choice to live in rebellion to God. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, but there are all kinds of entertainment out there that, you know, of course you sleep around before you're married. You know, of course, we take the Lord's name in vain. You know, of course, you know, the all the of courses of our culture. Uh, I early decided that entertainment has power. Story has great power. And that I am accountable for the stories I tell. I'm accountable to one. 
I will give an account to him for how I've stewarded what he gave me. And I, I don't want to stand before him and be grieved at any point that I made a choice that compromised my witness or misrepresented his character. Um, so, yes, I've turned down roles. And the Lord has been very gracious to me. He has, uh, um, I decided, okay, I remember one time when I went and told somebody that I, I could not do this show and told them why. And I realized, you know, I prayed, oh, I, pr- I was so prayed up before I went in there. And the Lord was merciful. He orchestrated it so sweetly. After I said what I said, I was ready to leave. And the guy said, no, it was an artistic director of a of a new professional company that I was thrilled to be hired by and wanted to have a long relationship with. And I remember thinking, okay, he may decide after I had this discussion with him that he's never going to hire me again. And I realized I had to decide, okay, if they never hire me again, that has to be okay with me Mm. because of the one I am accountable to. He's the one I want to please. He's the one I treasure more than anything. And I decided, okay, Lord, if that's what comes from this, I'm okay. Just help me. But the guy was so gracious. He said, you know, I was getting up to leave. I said, thank you very much. And he said, no, 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 sit down, sit down. And he wanted to talk. He wanted to know more. You know, it's like, okay, I had my speech planned. It's like I was a deer in the headlights. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> I, was, I was pretty young in my faith. But um, God has been so good to me. He has rewarded me. He has allowed me to do the greatest roles ever written for women through the years. Mm. So I love to tell that to young actors coming up. I love to say, don't worry. Decide early that he is your highest treasure, that you're going to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. All those things will be added to you. He's got you. He's your yeah. agent. So I, I love to tell young actors that because they're facing it now more than ever. Mm, we hear the stories and we also see in the news now a generation that has grown up in Hollywood and they're sharing their traumas from being childhood actors and oh, yes. mm-hmm. it's it's devastating it's like how do you enter into this creative world where you want to entertain and have fun in your case you know do art that honors god and how do you stay true to that calling and, and set healthy boundaries yes absolutely i think the key is to have an absolute firm belief in the sovereignty of god over all the details of your life mm-hmm. He is so not random. He Mm. knows the number of the hairs of our head and he gave you, he wired you. He delights in all these gifts. He wants to see you on the stage. Drama is his idea. He's the drama king for heaven's (laughs) sake. So he's not going to put you on the shelf. We can't let fear get in the way of us following our calling. No. Well said, Holly. Even though we wanted to. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Sometimes it feels like the easier way, but alas. Yeah, there's that. Yeah. Uh, coming up August 3rd and 5th, U.S. and Canada, thehidingplacefilm.com. Uh, we, we were talking, we made mention about the role. Uh, for those who don't know, as, as we dive into uh, it being in theaters, and well, what is The Hiding Place? The Hiding Place is the true story of Corey Ten Boom and her father and sister. They joined the Dutch resistance, the Dutch underground, when Hitler invaded Holland in 1940. They decided to, um, they counted the cost, decided to put their lives on the line to save the Jewish people. 
that Hitler was targeting. They um, <clears throat> they had a clock shop in Harlem, Holland, and they lived upstairs above the clock shop. They built a, a tiny little room, two feet by eight feet. It was behind a false wall in Corey's bedroom. They built this to hide the Jews in that were staying with them. The, the Tin Booms had a long history of hospitality. They um, they were active in their church. They were Dutch Reformed, strict Calvinists, and were active in their community in the church. They fostered uh, the children of missionaries through the years when the, they would send their kids to be educated. The Tin Booms would take them in and foster them. So when they were given the opportunity to join the underground, they were just simply continuing the tradition of hospitality that they were already immersed in. Mm. People would come to their house. Some of the Jews stayed for a few hours. Some stayed for a few days. But the Tin Boom House was a stop along the way. And Corey, who wrote the book, The Hiding Place, um, said that she spent most of her time on the phone each day arranging to get more illegal ration cards or arranging for the Jews that were in her house at the time to be sent to the next stop along the way, the next safe house. But they were caught in 1942. They were caught and arrested. Kaspar, the daddy, was 82 years old at the time. He only survived 12 days in prison. Mm. Betsy and Corey survived and were eventually sent to Ravensbrück in Berlin. And uh, Betsy, Betsy was five years older. Betsy was 57 and Corey was 52 when they were arrested and imprisoned. Betsy died in December of uh, 1945. She had pernicious, she was not a robust, healthy woman all her life. She had something called pernicious anemia. So she died of, of anemia and starvation, but Corey survived Corey tells it this way. She was released 12 days after Betsy died. She was released uh, because of what's called, a, and I'm doing air quotes, a clerical error. Mm -hmm. It was a you know, supposed accident. Of course, it wasn't an accident. She was released. She was the only one released. Two weeks after she was released, all the women her age at Ravensbrook were sent to the gas chamber. Corey went back to Holland to recuperate. And Betsy had said to her, in fact, I want to read to you this quote. This is an amazing quote. Right before Betsy died, she's in the infirmary in Robinsbrook. And her last words to Corey were these. We must tell them, she said, Corey, you're going to leave here. You're going home. She actually said, we're going home. She was going home to, to Jesus, but she said, we're going home. And she said, we must tell them what we have learned here. We must tell them there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. They will listen to us, Corey, because we have been here. So sure enough, Corey was released. After she recuperated, she went back to Germany and turned one of the, after the liberation, turned one of the concentration camps into a rehab center mm. for survivors and, interestingly, for collaborators. Mm -hmm. Then she proceeded to travel the world. She went to 60 different countries, spent the rest of her life. In fact, she wrote a book about it called Tramp for the Lord. 
spent the rest of her life living out of a suitcase, traveling and giving the message that God can, God is able to enable you to forgive the unforgivable. Hmm. She also, this is a huge moment in the book and in our movie, in the, the adaptation that Pete Peterson wrote. There's the moment, a true story. Bet Corey is uh, speaking in a church in Germany and uh, she talks about the power of forgiveness that the Holy Spirit enables the follower of Christ to, to walk in. Mm-hmm. After the service, a Nazi, a former Nazi guard walks up to her. She recognizes him immediately because he was especially cruel. He was responsible for Betsy's death. Mm. He walks up to her and as Corey tells it rather glibly, he hands out his hand and stretches out his hand and says, Miss Tinboom, I just heard you talk about forgiveness. I have become a Christian. And he reaches out his hand and he says, will you forgive me? And Corey tells it that all this hatred and all the memories rose up in her heart, cold hatred toward the man. And then she remembered, she quoted to herself, Romans 5, 5, which says this, and I'll quote her, and I'll do it in the beautiful Dutch accent that she says it in. But she said, I remembered, for the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And she said, by an act of the will, she reached out her hand to this Nazi guard. And she literally felt an electrical current go from her shoulder down her arm into her hand. And she grabbed his hand and she said, I forgive you, brother. Hmm. And she, she was later quoted as saying, forgiveness is an act of the will and can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. So she spent her life with this message and uh, wrote the book, The Hiding Place, wrote several books. And um, uh, a playwright named A.S. Peterson here in Tennessee did a beautiful adaptation, stage adaptation of it, which uh, had its world premiere in Houston in 2019. And then he rewrote it, you know, continued to finesse it and improve it. And we mounted it here last summer. And while uh, during our run, we took the time to uh, hire an amazing video team, a husband and wife named Tony and Tony and Laura Matula to do a film version of it and picture true cinematography. Don't picture one wide shot of a stage. Picture picture close-ups, picture beautiful cinematography, beautiful scoring. uh, And that is what will be released in theaters August 3 and 5. And then will be globally globally available starting August 16. Amazing. Corey's story is so phenomenal. For you, when you read for the role, was it Uh, a role you just had to play? Yes, (laughs) (laughs) ma'am. I wanted it. So badly. And uh, I read the book like you at a young age and it had a huge impact on me Yeah, to get to tell this story. This woman is a hero. I mean, if if Bruce chapter 11 was being written today, her name would be there along with Betsy's and her father, Kaspar. I mean, these are heroes of the faith. Yeah. What an honor and a privilege to tell this story. 
And um, when I was asked to play it um, uh, for the world premiere in Houston, I got a call from the artistic director there offering me the role. And, you know, there was no hesitation in my mind at all. When my husband came home, I didn't call him and tell him what had happened. I wanted to tell him in person. And I said, honey, you are not going to believe the phone call I just got. And when I told him, he went instantly. He said, you were born to do this. Mm. And um, I had to be gone for nine weeks, <laughs> which was very hard. That was the only thing I was nervous about is <laughs> I'm going to be so homesick, be gone for nine weeks. But he was like, you have to go. You mm. were born to do this. And um, it has been the supreme privilege of my life. Besides being his wife and the mother to our two daughters, it's a supreme honor. <laughs> Besides the family. Yeah. <laughs> and hanging out with Holly and I today. But, right, uh, right. <laughs> so <laughs> let, let me ask this, though. Like, it, it's the role that you had to play. It's like this is a dream come true. But how much prep goes into something like this? I mean, I would also like there's a lot of pressure for one. Yeah. But then the prep work that goes into playing a role like Corey. Yes, great question. I like to approach it first very cerebrally. I go deep into research. I read everything she wrote. I mm. went on YouTube. Thank the Lord we have her on YouTube. Yeah. Mm. It's glorious. We have her speaking, you know, multiple times. So I listened to her accent and just did this huge deep dive into who she was. And um, so there's that preparation, the research. Also, thanks to Pete Peterson, who is a great playwright, um, Pete did. Pete wrote it in such a way that Corey had an arc of transformation. This is the story we, we love to see. <clears throat> the hero's journey. The mm-hmm. hero starts in one place, mm-hmm. ends up in another. And watching the journey of a hero, we can relate to it if we see the foibles, the flaws, the temptations, the struggles. If you see the struggle of the hero, you go, oh, I understand. I relate to that. So mm. I couldn't think of Corey as this fully formed icon, you know, who was a who was born a hero of the faith. She wasn't. Mm. And that's another thing I love to talk about when people ask me about this role and Corey and this family, this amazing family. What I want people to take away from this film is I want them to see themselves. I want them to see this sweet family who did all this hidden work for years before they were tapped on the shoulder. Will you join the underground? Mm. For years, they've been doing hidden, the hidden work of obedience, the small daily obedience of following Christ, of being hospitable. And then when this hour came in their lives, this hour they were born for, uh, they were ready. In fact, I want people to know that, that if you're in the process right now of being obedient, you're going to be ready for the hours that may come. In fact, Papa Tinboom raised Corey and Betsy with this with this in mind. Corey was talking to him once about something she was afraid of. She was afraid of of failing and he, and letting the Lord down. And he said, listen, when we go to visit Tante Jans in Amsterdam, when do I give you the ticket for the train ride? And she said, you give me the ticket right before we get on the train. And he said, 
absolutely. And he said, the same is true for the things that the Lord will ask you to do that you will face. He'll give you the ticket right before you get on the train. You will be equipped for whatever he asks you to do. So that's what I hope. I hope people don't go away from the movie going, oh, I would fail if faced with something so huge and momentous. No, you wouldn't. You have the Holy Spirit. And if you're being obedient right now in hidden, small ways, you will be ready. That's one of my favorite parts of her story. That and the there are no what ifs in God's world. Yes. I've forgotten that, Holly. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> They're just such incredible life truths. And it's such a, an encouraging story, even though it truly does happen during such a depraved time in, oh. in our history. Um, but yes, yes, you have this moment. You get to be Corey Temboom. Do you ever have to pinch yourself and think, why me? <laughs> oh, you so smoothly segued into that. <laughs> I tried really hard. <laughs> oh, that was that was brilliant. Okay. <clears throat> well, I have a why me. It's a little twist. I've been watching your podcasts and listening to other people's why me. So I will give you a little bit more of my background and answer to the first question that Johnny always asks. Who are you? Where did you um, come from? <laughs> where'd you come from? All right. I came from a, a religious tradition, a denomination that historically has been somewhat legalistic, hmm. works oriented, performance oriented. It was Jesus plus works. Yeah. Hmm. Or fill in the blank, whatever. And being a type A personality, being performance oriented, I was all in. I can impress God. I am sure I can. I'm positive he finds me adorable, irresistible. I'm going to impress him with, look, with ABC. Look what I can do for you. Well, in my late 20s, I um, started this wonderful Bible study method that a wonderful lady named Kay Arthur created called Precept Upon Precept. I started diving in to deep Bible study for the first time in my life. And I took her course on the Sermon on the Mount. And it was like three months of three chapters. It was wonderful, meaty. Mm -hmm. Well, the first beatitude is blessed are the poor in spirit. And I learned what being poor in spirit means, that you truly understand your poverty, your spiritual poverty apart from Christ. And she had us look very honestly at the sin in our own lives. And she got real practical. And she asked the question, have you ever broken the speed limit? You know, I was used to categorizing sins. Hmm. The big, whatever you want to define them as. And this will sound counterintuitive. But when I came face to face, when she asked that question, have you broken the speed limit? I came face to face with how broken I am. Born broken, totally poor in spirit, bereft of righteousness of my own. And I suddenly saw that Jesus didn't die to make a nice girl nicer. He died to make a dead girl alive. 
mm-hmm. that I didn't need just a little bit of the blood of Christ. I needed all of it. And for the first time, I was set free, really set free. And the why me was, why me? Why do you love me this much? Why would you die for me when I saw my brokenness? Mm-hmm. Why would you choose me for salvation? So that's my, why me? I don't know why. I am awfully grateful. But I don't know why. None of us do. Yeah, (laughs) we'll find out one day. (laughs) That is definitely a question I want to ask. (laughs) The answer is because he loves you. Because he loves you. He just loves you. It's just... You know, I I didn't have to impress him anymore. Yeah, it's true. There's literally nothing we can do. Just be us to draw near. Right. Yes. Hallelujah. <laughs> does um, as somebody who who does live theater and as somebody who all the all the different roles and all the different you know Swiss Army knives blades <laughs> that you have. Is there a retirement? Does somebody retire from that? Or is it just you waiting for the next role and the next, and you're just going to kind of do it until you're told no more? B is the answer to that question. My husband and I talk about that a lot. As long as the Lord blesses us with good health, we don't want to retire. We want to keep contributing. I would love to keep treading the boards, as they say, as long as I am, am fully clothed and in my right mind and can memorize lines. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to keep my mind sharp, my body in shape. Um, I'm not a fitness fanatic, but, um, you know, I, I am grateful for good health and, and pray that I'm granted that I, I want to die mid stride with my boots on hmm. contributing, uh, offering something, teaching the word, um, teaching younger actors coming up and, uh, I feel like I'm a better actor now than I was at 30 and 40 and 50. And so I, I hope that the, the, the people who have the power to hire me and they're all younger than me, I hope they, they value what I can bring with hmm. this age on me. But yes, I want to keep working. As mentioned, August 3rd and 5th in U.S. and Canada, thehidingplacefilm.com at thehidingplacefilm on all the socials. Nan. Uh, we took out dancer, but we then put in podcaster. So yeah. you're still Wait, the and Swiss painter. Army nice of everything, right? And painter. <laughs> and painter. Let me tell you this, Johnny, um, as we sign off the podcast, yes, Women Who Dare to Believe. It's a podcast that I do with my best friend, Bonnie Keene. And in each podcast, we do a deep dive into a specific woman in scripture. Looks like I have another podcast to, yeah, to subscribe right? to. Yeah. <laughs> While your commutes, Holly. I know. Seriously. <laughs> uh, seriously. Um, man, this has been incredible. I'm so glad that we were able to uh, share just a little bit of time with you today and uh, hear your heart. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, Holly. What a delight for me. Blessings on you both. May the Lord prosper all that you set your hands to do. If she wasn't just like the biggest delight of all time. I know. I am a huge fan. <laughs> I 
I just want to like spend time. Let's do coffee. Let's move down to the, or let's go visit Nashville area yeah. and just go hang out with Nan and her family. Do you think she has a porch? We can have sweet tea on it. A hundred percent. She does. And if the- not, she would find one for us yes. so that we could just hang out. Uh, I would love that so much. And I love her heart for just serving the Lord with all of her talents, mm. but also her commitment to prayer. Yeah. Um, it's so, so important, no matter what you're doing, who you are, to go first to that posture of prayer and then take on the roles, take on the day and all of the the life living after the prayer. So I just so inspired by her today. Yeah. And and being prayerful in which roles do I take and yeah. that they're honoring. And there's just there's so much and let's Christianese it so much to unpack. Yes. Uh, that well, I can't wait to listen to it and kind of go through it and make notes, make notes on our own show. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> But uh, you could do the same. We'd love for you to do that. Thank you to everybody so far who has reached out on the socials, who uh, continues to download, subscribe, uh, places like YouTube. We're still we're still trying to get like three people. Yeah, that'd be great. (laughs) So make sure you subscribe, rate, review, share with a friend if there's something that stood out to you. And also feel free to connect with us. Did something stand out to you in this episode? We would love to know what it was and and how Nan's story spoke to you. And a reminder to get out and support uh, the third and the fifth uh, when movies and stuff like that hit theaters. It's really important that we show that there is an interest in these types of things. And then that way we could see more of that in the future. 